Most of the time, childbirth happens in a hospital, but not always. Consider the pregnant woman in Payson, Utah, who went into Walmart early on a Sunday morning just to pick up a few things. This was her third pregnancy, so she was familiar with what to expect. But by the time she finished shopping and was at the register, she was on her knees and holding her stomach in serious distress. The baby was not going to wait. The manager and other employees were trying to help her to get her to a more comfortable place with a little bit of privacy. But they were surprised when the woman insisted on paying for her items first. The manager said, she paid, then she had the baby. You can't make that up. The employees have since named Register 11 the Baby Register. Mother and baby were eventually brought to the hospital and were doing fine. But that's the way it is sometimes with babies. When the time comes, they are going to make their appearance into the world, no matter when or where that might be. Karen knows all about that. And so does Alfred, her father-in-law. Real people in unreal situations. There is a girl hanging by her broken leg from the telephone wire. And I called 911 and I said, I found a baby. I turned around. I see a gun pointed at me close enough I could touch it. She would hold our heads underwater all the time. He levels the gun, pulls the trigger, and I go down. Her eyes were full of tears. She didn't want to leave us. My hair catches on fire. I swear to God, this, is, this image is burning my head for the rest of my life. I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like? Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes, and it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is, you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top, click on Try Free and you're in. On Android, just go to whatwasthatlike.com plus and try it out completely free. Once you've had the ad-free experience, you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it. But for now, here's another ad, and then on with today's episode. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, Listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into The Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to The Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, 
relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. You found out that you were pregnant on Christmas Day, 2022. Was that a surprise or were you planning that? It was planned in that we wanted to have a second child and we were trying since July of that year, but it was a surprise because we did not expect it to happen so soon. We were having problems with conceiving our first child, so it took more than a year the first time. And then it was half that time, the second one, it was kind of fun because, uh, you know, I had my fingers crossed the whole month prior because like, oh, I missed my period uh, on Thanksgiving Day or the first day of your last period is Thanksgiving Day. And then Christmas Day, I should have, but it did not. And so I was able to wake up my husband like, look, look, it's a positive test. I'm pregnant. Can you give us a summary of how the pregnancy was going? I mean, it was it's a pretty hot summer in Texas. Yes. <laughs> it's miserable being pregnant in Texas during the summer because my, my other pregnancy was also during the summer, but she was a July baby at the beginning of July, so I didn't have to endure the hottest part of the summer. I was expecting to be pregnant all of August, but anyway, I pretty much stayed inside as often as I could. I would go out for walks like between 8 or 10 in the morning. And after that, I had to take shelter inside because every inch of me would be covered in sweat, just like walking through the parking lot to get to Walmart or going into work. It was disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as you mentioned, this was obviously, it's not your first pregnancy. Did you feel like you kind of pretty much knew what to expect, though? Yes, I'd, I'd actually say this pregnancy was a little easier than the first one. I guess your body just like figures it out. It's the first time I was carrying a lot of extra fluid. And well, actually, now I think about it, I had gestational diabetes this time. I didn't have it the first time. So in that way, it uh, it was worse. I didn't expect to have gestational diabetes. I thought I'd completely dodged that bullet, even though My mom had had it, and uh, my younger sister had had it. Your first delivery was a C-section. Not purposefully. It was originally going to be a vaginal delivery. Um, We're hoping rather uneventful as they go. But then after so many hours of active labor and the, the nurse turning Ellie inside me, and it ended up being an emergency C-section just because... The story, uh, which is still confusing to me, like at one point they thought that the cord was wrapped around her. At another point, it was just because her head was stuck. I'm not sure. But at one point they realized a C-section had to happen and they asked me if that was okay. And I said yes. And then I pretty much passed out after that. They didn't need to, to, to knock me out with any more drugs. I was just so exhausted from pushing that I was done. <laughs> And that was your first child, as you mentioned, your daughter, her name is Ellie. And how old is she now? She's three years. So she was born right in the middle of the lockdown before they would even, you know, talk to us pretty much. They had to check to make sure we didn't have COVID. So now you're pregnant with your second child. Did you know the sex of the new baby ahead of time? Yes, we did know it was going to be a boy. The technician, the sonogram technician had a, a very unique way of revealing that information because she asked us if we wanted to be a surprise. 
And we said no. And we talked about how Ellie was potty training. And she said, well, with this one, he's going to ask you to, to wipe his balls. I'm like, well, that's, that's good to know. That seems kind of random. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were complaining like Ellie doesn't like to wipe. But I think that's just common when kids are learning how to use the potty. But, you know, like, I don't know. I was a little taken aback by the vulgarity of it, but I, maybe I'm just a prude. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about what happened on that day. You were on your way to work. Talk about, you know, where you work and, and what happened. That week we were doing staff development like all week. I work at a middle school here in Princeton. I am the the library lady. I'm not officially allowed to call myself a librarian since I don't have that particular master's degree. I had been feeling Braxton Hicks, you know, the the practice labor for most of that day. It wasn't so bad in the morning. It became progressively worse, or at least in my mind, it was still practice labor. I dropped Ellie off at my in-laws for them to watch her while I was at work. We were doing staff development that particular day. I think it was supposed to be team building exercises. My false labor or practice labor, is, as others call it, uh, was giving me problems in participating in some of these team building activities. And in the end, like I asked my principal if if I could just sit out because... A lot of these activities involve moving quickly because they were minute to win it kind of things, running from one end of a table to another. And some of them also involved eating like gummy bears or, or whatever. And with my gestational diabetes, I couldn't really participate in that regard either. On this day, how far out were you from your projected delivery date? I was 36 weeks and I think five days. I was almost 37 weeks. So that's almost full term, but not quite. <laughs> but you're getting close, though. Yeah. And I was pretty big, too. A lot of my coworkers, when they saw me, they were surprised that I hadn't already gone on FMLA or had the baby. I remember at the end of the, the previous school year, a lot of them were like, are you actually going to make it to the end of your term? Are you sure you're not going to pop any moment now? And what made you think this was false labor? And not the real thing. I guess because in my mind, there was absolutely no way he would be coming that early. I just it didn't in my wildest dreams think that it could possibly be true labor. Especially since like the last time when I had Ellie, the pain was very intense and I could hardly move. But these, like I was able to still, like I was able to push around the book cart and I was able to shelve books and lift a few books boxes and nothing too heavy that I'm not supposed to lift while that pregnant, but I was still really functional and upright. So around four o'clock or so, I decided to leave to go get Ellie and the labor pains um, had gotten a little more intense, but I was still determined to, to get things just so before I left for the end of the day. I think that's a, a big problem a lot of people have in the education field is like they, they just can't tear themselves away from the job. So I decided to move one last box of stuff to my car that I didn't want to leave in my office. And I realized belatedly that practice labor is supposed to stop or so they say when you stand up or when you change positions. And, and this wasn't. 
So as I was wheeling my cart outside, I felt a little better in the sun, having the heat on me. But then when I came back inside to the the sheer chill of the library, it hurt a lot. And I realized that something, something was wrong. Think about it now. Obviously, I was going into labor. But (laughs) at that point, I thought, oh, my gosh, maybe I'm one of those rare miscarriages that happens in the third trimester because I have had a a miscarriage before, but that was in the first trimester. I gather up my stuff and I head out to my car. And when I sit in my car, it's the pain is still there. I mean, it's not consistent. It comes in waves, but it was it was getting more and more intense. And by the time that I'd driven my car a couple blocks over, I called my husband and told him that that something was wrong, that I was in a lot of pain. And I could hear him on the phone, distracted by repairing some car. He wasn't really taking me seriously. I could just hear it in his voice. Um, but he told me that I should call his parents and let them know that that I was going to drive straight home. I wouldn't be able to pick up Ellie. That either they would need to drop her off or I could get her later. And he advised me to call my doctor. I managed to drive home. Because I had told him the pain was so bad that I didn't think I'd be able to even drive over to his parents' house. But luckily, our house was pretty close to my work. So I managed to drive home. And I got inside. And I tried to call my doctor. I don't know what's wrong with their phones. I tried a couple times. And I just couldn't get through to them. I just kept feeling this need to push. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'm constipated. Because that happens it's you know pregnancy does anything and everything under the sun to you so you were in some serious denial here at this point (laughs) it sounds like i I just like could not could not fathom like there's no way i i would have such a a preterm baby there's no way i could ellie was only a few days early from when i was supposed to be induced but this was like three or four weeks from my expected due date. So at the time I thought it was maybe I'm constipated. So I go to the bathroom and that's not it. I call my husband back. And by this time, the pain is so intense that I'm almost screaming at him, like the gutturalness to my voice. And he's finally taking me seriously. Because I actually have a, a pretty high pain tolerance. So he told me that I need to go to the hospital. Because I guess I was just so in denial that <laughs> I didn't think I, I needed to go. I just needed some other solution. I don't know. Should I lay down? Should I put an ice pack on it? What? Tell me what to do. So we decided I should go to the hospital. But obviously at this point, I could not drive myself. Uh, so he asked me if his parents should come drive me. And why wouldn't Jared just drive you there? Uh, he works on the other side of town in Texas. Like all these towns are just shoved together and it takes so long to get from one to the others, even though Plano is like two or three towns over and there's a highway practically connecting us. It takes like 
an hour, hour and a half with traffic just to, to get from one end to the other. So there wasn't time for him to get there. Not with the way that, that this labor was going. It did not feel like he would make it in time. So he suggested that one of his parents could drive you to the hospital. And what was your reaction to that? I accepted the idea right away. I said, yes, that he should call them and and ask one of them to to drive me. But normally I don't like accepting a whole lot of help from them because for one thing, I don't like to feel too indebted. I feel guilty for accepting too much generosity, but his parents also have a habit of being overly generous where it almost feels like they don't recognize that we're adults, that, that we're still kids and they're and not really capable of caring for our own family. So the fact that you agreed to that right away, that must have made Jared realize, okay, this this is serious. Yeah, it was a, it was definitely a red flag to him. We hung up and I grabbed my keys to lock the front door and I grabbed my phone. And I think the only other thing was I, I changed my shirt because I didn't want to like go to the hospital and ruin my perfectly good work shirt. When you go to the hospital like this, you pretty much expect like all your clothes are going to be ruined. They might even be cut off of you. Yes. <laughs> yes. I wait on the patio for one of them to come drive up and get me. And I'm still experiencing these waves of pain and it's hard to, to be quiet. The pain was so bad, but I didn't want my neighbors to hear. I didn't want this to, to be reported on like our neighborhood Facebook group or something like, did you hear the screaming at a, you know, four thirty or so should we call the cops? So I was trying to avoid any good Samaritans that, that might be within earshot. And then Alfred rolls up in his Subaru Forester and he tries to help me into the car. And this is your father-in-law? Yes. Okay. Did you know that it was him coming instead of Carolyn, your mother-in-law? I did not. Usually, though, I see Alfred more than I see Carolyn. I don't know if they have some kind of unspoken agreement in that way. But whenever like one of them's coming to pick Ellie up, it's usually him or he's usually the first one out when I'm picking Ellie up myself. He's the one that greets me in the morning when I go to drop her off. I don't know why they arranged it that way. Maybe Carolyn doesn't like me as is the mother-in-law stereotype. (laughs) (laughs) Are you okay with having that in the podcast? I mean, she's going to hear this, right? Probably, but <laughs> I I don't know. Does it make for better drama for it to be included? I don't know. I feel like I, I try to be really honest and uh, maybe it it would be a way for <laughs> for us to talk about it. I think she she knows I I have kind of mixed feelings just because like my strongest memory with her is the the Christmas. I was so excited to give Ellie this Elmo doll. She was going to lose her shit. She was going to be so excited. And then I found out Carolyn bought the same doll and Ellie opened it before the one that I had gotten her. And I was just so upset. 
But anyway, like that in a nutshell is like how I feel about Carolyn. <laughs> so there's an interesting dynamic there. I may just uh, prepare her beforehand. Like I'm, this is, this is going to be honest, like brutally honest. And I talk about our relationship some, so. Uh, <laughs> so, so you got in the front passenger seat. Yes. Buckled in. Yeah, he leaned the seat back a little bit, but yeah, I was in the front passenger seat. Did Alfred seem a little nervous? Oh, definitely. <laughs> he had this look like like uh, walking on eggshells or just like he seemed uncertain about everything. Like he kept looking to me almost like looking for confirmation or something. And this is Alfred. As I was helping Karen get in the car, I was feeling nervous because I'd never been nor experienced anything like this. I wanted to keep calm, stay relaxed for Karen's sake, and get her to the hospital as quickly as I could. I don't know how many crises he's been a part of, but he definitely didn't feel very confident. I don't know if he was to the point where he wished he were anywhere but in that car, but... At least he wasn't unfriendly and he wasn't overly pushy. And part of me is kind of glad that it was him. Carolyn couldn't believe it either. Jared told me that when he talked to her and he told her that the baby was coming, she had told him, no, no, that can't be. Tell her to stop. As if I could stop the contractions. <laughs> like, he's not supposed to come for a while. Tell her No. <laughs> It, she must be mistaken. Yeah, it has to be something else. It's like, you've had three kids yourself. When have you been able to stop your contractions? Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. A little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut. With Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic, go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. 
One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV. And her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what, or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. I'll confess, sometimes I let my podcast playlist get out of hand and I get way behind. But there's one show that I subscribe to and any new episode goes right to the top of the queue. That's the Jordan Harbinger show. That's because I never have to figure out, okay, is this one going to be interesting or do I wait for the next one like I do for some shows? because Jordan's conversations are always a must-listen for me. He talks to fascinating people from any category you can think of. Authors, scientists, athletes, you name it. He's talked to undercover cops who posed as mafia and the actual career mafia hitmen. And the stories he gets out of these people, just incredible. In one episode, he talked to Paul Holes. You might know that name if you're into true crime. He's the former investigator who uses really advanced methods to solve cold cases, including the Golden State Killer. And another one I really enjoyed was with Sam Harris, an author and neuroscientist who promotes skepticism, and he doesn't mind taking on some seriously controversial topics like politics or religion. That one's going to make you think. Whenever a new episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show pops up, I already know it's going to be an episode that I'll enjoy listening to, and I'll bet you will too. For some episode recommendations, check out jordanharbinger.com start or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There aren't a whole lot of ways to get out of our small town. There's the back roads down old Myrick, which are kind of bumpy and uh, not well-maintained. And then there's the more direct route up 380, which will take you pretty much right there to the highway. The bumpy winding roads of old Myrick and Bridge Farmer typically see less traffic just because of, I guess, a lot of people also don't like the, the bumps and the windiness. 380, though, is really unpredictable because... It is the main way in and out of town, so it can be really backed up. Once it took me like 25 minutes just to go a mile, traffic was so bad because it's also just like a a two-lane highway. So Alfred asked me which way we should take, and I didn't trust myself on the bumpy roads. I thought it would just make everything feel worse, so I told him to take 380. And as you traveled, Jared was on the phone over the car's speakers, like on Bluetooth. Yes. 
Alfred called and uh, had him talk to us because he was getting out of work. Uh, he scrubbed up right quick, you know, because he's a mechanic and just covered with oil all the time. Um, and he was going to try and meet us. He said if he had taken his motorcycle, he would have definitely made it before Alex had, had come out. But he was in his truck, so it was going to take a little while. So you and Alfred are racing to get to the hospital. Jared is racing also at the same time. But he was on the phone with you, so he could kind of hear what's going on. Yes, he could hear me laboring, I guess, or he could hear me in pain. And I didn't know it at the time, but he told me later that he was timing it like he could hear when I would cry out and he would look at the clock and then he would wait for the next time. And so he put it together before I did, or at least acknowledged it before I was willing to acknowledge it, that, that the baby was coming, that these were real contractions. They were coming regularly, not sporadically like practice labor usually does. My hospital usually takes about 30 minutes to get to because I purposely wanted that one. It has, in my mind, a better reputation than the one that was closer. But we didn't make it that far. <laughs> As we're going down 380, Jared is trying to figure out where we are. Alfred is trying to tell him, but he's given him like weird landmark. Like, oh, I see this old rundown shed thing or whatever and i'm just over here you know puffing and screaming and like bridge farmer 380 we're passing the the intersection so he knows where we are then we get up to to airport where we would turn off to get to the the bigger highway that would take us to to baylor centennial and it's at that point jared asks us where are you taking her i thought it was still understood we were trying to go to to the hospital we had planned to deliver it Alfred says as much um, and Jared says like, no, you, you need to take her to medical city McKinney, which is the closer hospital, which we were about 10 or 15 minutes away from. And so Alfred's asking how we get to there and he missed the turn, makes a U-turn, which is good in my mind. because I think at the time, I don't think I would have had my mental map ready to, to redirect us or reroute us. So when we get on to airport, it's at that point that I can feel him crowning. Like I reached down and I felt his head and I realized that I needed to get my pants off. And I was able to to shimmy them down to like around my hips and stuff. But I, I needed Alfred's help to get them any further. I was not going to be able to bend down enough to, to do that. So I told him that we needed to, to pull over. Told him this as best I could. I wasn't exactly like talking as civilly as we are right now. Yeah, you were under a little bit of stress then. Yeah, yeah. So I, I screamed at him, "Pull over!" Or, I need help, or I think I need to take my pants off. I think that is literally what I said at one point. I think I need to take my pants off. So he's looking for places to pull over. I'm getting a little more irritated. As we keep passing all these viable spots where he could have pulled over. And finally, I start screaming at him, help me, help me. Um, and he jumps the curb onto this like field so that he can get out of the car and help me actually get my pants off. And of course, I had to ask Alfred, what were his thoughts at that time? <laughs> 
when Karen said to pull over and the baby's coming, now I thought, holy sugar. Once I jumped the curb to get off the street, I called 911 as I was running around the car to open the passenger door. I was listening to the 911 operator give instructions and ask the questions about Karen and the situation. This was not exactly the situation I wanted to be in. I guess at some point while I was busy asking for help, he had called 911. So I guess he's got the dispatcher on the line. But um, he helps me with my pants. And it's not very long after that, that just this one final wave of, of pain. And it's almost like, um, you know, the those little like water plastic thingies that you see kids playing with. I don't know. It's like some kind of science thing. I think I had to look up what the heck they were called. Like a water weenie. Is that what they are? Yeah. So anyway, that's what it feels like. That sensation of having it in your hands. That's what it felt like as he was coming out in this big, horribly painful gush. I've never felt anything quite like that. McKinney, what is the address of your emergency? My daughter's in labor. She's the baby's coming out. I'm trying to get her to the hospital. And I'm over here on 121 and Elm. Okay, sir, sir. Okay, you're on Elm. Elm. What? Where you're at Elm and where? Keep the baby's face clean. That way the baby can breathe, okay? 
Okay. Yeah, if you can just, if you have the Kleenex, you can just wipe off his mouth and nose, and then just try to clean around his head. That way we can get any mucus or amniotic fluid off of him, okay? And if you have anything that that is clean that we can wrap the baby in, like I said, I mean, you know, like shirt on my back. Okay. All I have. Is she laying down in the back seat of the car? Well, in the front seat, sort of laid back. Okay. Okay. So without pulling the cord tight, we need to keep the baby down between the mother's legs, level with her bottom, and we need to make sure the cord is not wrapped around the baby's neck. Okay. Okay. Face up or face down, or if he's going to be level with my bottom. Yeah, I need face. Yeah, no, we need to keep him face up. Just keep him level with your bottom in between your legs if you can. And you said the cord is not wrapped around his neck, correct? I've got 911 coming. Thank you. Okay. All right, we're going to watch the baby closely for three minutes, and then we're going to try to find something to tie the cord with, okay? Okay. All right, so what I just want you to do for the next three minutes is monitor the baby. Let me know. I can hear I can hear the baby crying, which is great. So we're just going to monitor the baby for the next couple minutes. Let me know if anything looks strange, if the baby's having trouble breathing, if he's changing color, anything. He looks, doesn't look like he's changing color. Okay, good, good. That, that, we've got the paramedics almost there. They'll be with you in just a moment, okay? You're doing great. And do you have do you have anything to tie the umbilical cord off with? Not really. Okay, they're almost there, so hopefully they can help you. Is it a boy or a girl? It's a boy. It's a boy. Yeah. Okay, you should be hearing the you should be hearing the ambulance yeah. in just a moment. Yeah, the fire truck just came around the corner. Okay, I just want to make sure that they can get to you and find you before I let you go. Okay. <laughs> Has has your has your uh, afterbirth come out yet? I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Okay. No. Okay. You haven't pushed anything out besides the baby, correct? I don't. Think so. Okay. Don't have anything Let me know when the paramedics are right there with you. Breathing. Okay. We're breathing. We're good. Ma'am, is the paramedic with you? Okay, I'm going to let you go. Congratulations. And Alfred's right there. Was there even any time for either of you to be embarrassed about having a baby and then and it's your father-in-law that's assisting you? Oh, thank goodness not. There, there is like next to no time. We weren't even thinking about that. Okay. No, it, like I think I did have a moment where there were people passing us on the road. There was a, a brief moment where I thought, well, I guess they're going to get a show. I hope they can't really see me from over here because, like, the passenger side of the car was pointed away from the road. But, I don't know, his window was wide open, so I don't know if anybody could see. We had a few people ask um, if we needed help. One guy even pulled up on the curb next to us, and I think he left by the time the EMTs arrived. In that audio, it sounded like Alfred was talking to a few people who happened to stop by and, and offer help. Yeah, I vaguely was aware of that. But once Alex was out, I was primarily focused on that, like holding him in my arms. Like like I caught him after he, he came out. I, 
Alfred may have touched him too. I, d- I don't even remember. I don't really remember what the heck he was doing until I became more aware of the 911 dispatcher talking to us. Alex was, was in my arms and he was still in the, the sack. And at the time I was thinking, I wonder if he can still breathe in that and he needs to come out. And so I, I pinched it and just ripped it open. This is the amniotic sac you're talking about. That's right. Yeah. It was so slimy and just seemed like something out of a, out of a horror movie almost, you know? So you just ripped it open. Yes. So I ripped it open and pulled it off of him. And the cord was kind of snaked around him like some kind of crazy scarf. But he was he was breathing. And he wasn't crying, really. I was concerned about the, the cord. So I just kind of pushed that to be out of the way because it was kind of around his neck. And I was concerned. I think it was around that time that I became aware of the the dispatcher talking to us on the phone because she was concerned that he wasn't crying. And so she, she told me to, to basically piss him off. Um, so I held him down low until he started crying. What did he look like at that point? He looked slimy and covered with white specks. He had all his hair. His eyes were closed and he looked so small, I guess, because he didn't have the time, you know, in the oven to put on all the the chubby baby fat. I found out later he was like seven pounds, six ounces. But everybody, when they saw him, they, they said, he's so tiny. He's so tiny. He was all slimy and covered in stuff. Did you feel the need that you had to clean him up? Uh. The dispatcher was telling us to to clean him up, and Alfred wanted to... He said he didn't have anything except the shirt off his back, and he mentioned that a couple times, and the the dispatcher obviously didn't think that was acceptable. So Alfred said, I've got Kleenex, and so I remember him going over to the driver's side and like wiping at Alex's face with the Kleenex as I was holding him to me. And then she started talking about if we had something to cut the umbilical cord. And that's what I was really worried about because I didn't have anything to, to cut the umbilical. I have like one very dull novelty pocket knife off my keys. And I didn't think that was going to be enough. And I definitely didn't, wouldn't want to do the, you know, what wild animals do and chew it off with their teeth. But fortunately by that time, the uh, EMTs had started arriving. So they were the ones that uh, that cut the cord. And the placenta was still inside me. So they didn't worry about that, I guess, until later where they're like, oh, yeah, we got to do something about that. Now, during this whole thing, was Jared still on the phone with you? No, he arrived, I think, shortly after the EMTs got there because uh, he says that he remembers seeing the inside of the car. And since Alfred was the one coherent enough to make calls, when Alfred had called 911, Jared, I guess that was when he was talking to his mom and telling her that the baby was coming. But somehow he knew where you had pulled over, though. I guess Alfred had told him where we were going to be right before he ended the call and called 911. 
Hey, this is Scott. Did you know we offer a premium feed of this show that is completely ad-free and there are bonus episodes? Go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus or just click the link in the show notes of any episode to learn more and to sign up. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can sign up right there in the app by clicking Try Free at the top of the episode list. And I hope to see you in the premium feed soon. The EMTs asked me if it was okay for the baby to go in an ambulance, like the first ambulance. They said that they were going to send another one for me to ride in. Maybe they they thought that I was going to be like a, a grizzly bear and just, no, the baby has to arrive with me. You can't have him. But I was so just worn out and just glad that he seemed to be okay. I let him go to the hospital, or I didn't put up a fuss, at least. He went in the first ambulance, and Jared, I can't remember that point. He followed the ambulance uh, in his truck, and then I went in the second ambulance shortly thereafter. And did Alfred also take his car and go to the hospital as well? He did, Unfortunately for him, I guess, because then it got to sit in the parking lot for hours in the hot, hot sun, have all that wonderful, disgusting human fluid and blood and all that stuff just bake into his passenger seat. (laughs) Talk about your ambulance ride. They kept asking me like the same questions like my name and the baby's name is and how far along was I and. At one point, somebody asked me, like, if I was thirsty. I was just like, yeah, I mean, it's Texas. It's summer. I was just laboring. Yes, I'm thirsty. And so I guess they don't have water bottles on the ambulance they could just give me. So they, they, they gave it directly to my veins via this, like, heavy-duty hookup with the tape that will last past the apocalypse. It was So you got an IV. Yes, I got an IV. Oh, it's hydration. Okay. We're in the ambulance, and it's from where we ended up on airport to the hospital. It's like literally five minutes. So it wasn't a very long ambulance ride. Man, you, you almost made it. We almost made it. <laughs> Instead, we arrived at their doorstep with the baby like, here it is. I did all the work without you. So as we're pulling up to the emergency room entrance, I feel this one final need to to push and a last scream as I push out the placenta and one of the MTs bags it up. We get onto a a gurney, I guess, and they start wheeling me into the the delivery room for the doctor to inspect me and everything. One of the EMTs brings along the placenta. I don't know if he was expecting us to want to save it, I guess, for the cord blood or, you know, I hear some people eat that or something in some cultures. I don't know. One of the nurses there thought she was, you know, it was comedy night, I guess, or she wanted to add some brevity to the room or something. They heard that we were coming. The ambulance or the EMTs had phoned ahead or something, letting them know to expect us. So she was quick to ask me if Alfred was, my father-in-law was traumatized. 
she said that uh, I owe him a stiff drink, which I still haven't given him. So when you were examined and everything was good? Yeah, uh, surprisingly. When I was pregnant, my doctor had told me there was like a 44% chance that I would have a successful uh, VBAC or vaginal birth after C-section. I guess they have some kind of formula based on my age and my weight and my gestational diabetes and my previous C-section history. This was going to be a planned C-section. And it ended up being a, a VBAC after all, just as I was I was hoping for. Right, because recovery is a lot quicker for yeah. what you did than, than a surgery. Yeah. Not to mention you can't, you can never be sure how good the surgeon that you get. Like the surgeon I had for my first one was outstanding, apparently, because uh, all the doctors that see it are like, wow, she did such a good job stitching you back up. I don't see any horrible scars or or whatever i don't know i'll take your word for it it looks good the doctor in the delivery room said that everything looked good nothing was torn he had to torture me some more by really pushing down on there i guess to to feel where my uterus was and i guess after he was done prodding me enough and he said everything was good to go and we could head on to uh, a post labor room before too long and we hung out in there for, for quite a while before they put us in a, a post-delivery room. And I finally got to hold my baby right after he was born because I, I missed out on that with Ellie. I wasn't able to hold her for the first 48 hours. And this happened not that long ago. How old is Alex now? He's a month now. He's going to be two months on October 7th. Yeah, when we went for our one-month checkup, he was uh, almost 10 pounds. Has Alfred recovered from the shock of being there when it happened? <laughs> I don't know if he'll ever fully recover from that. It's something he's never experienced before, and he'll probably never experience anything quite like it ever. Maybe he'll have a, a nice bond with Alex when he's older, you know, that they'll be closer than they ever would have been. You left in his car, you left your pants and your underwear. <laughs> that passenger seat. Can you describe that? Everything was soaked through with the amniotic fluid and the blood. And I'm told that other women will sometimes have, uh, you know, like urine or, or whatever as well, because, you know, everything wants to push, so you just empty everything. I didn't have that, thankfully, but Alfred tells me the, the smell was awful. I have next to no sense of smell naturally, so I don't really remember much of a smell anyway. But it, it was soaked through all through the, the seat warmers and everything, and my husband being a mechanic and feeling guilty that I ruined his seat, uh, offered to pay for and perform the the swap. So now Alfred has practically a brand new passenger seat. I wondered what Alfred thought when he got back home and looked at that and thought, okay, I got to start working on this. I got back home and started the process of cleaning the passenger seat of the car. What a mess and the smell. Oh my goodness. Initially, I pulled the car into the garage, but because of the odor, I backed it out, lowered all the windows 
and found a pair of disposable gloves and started the cleaning process. The whole time I was thinking, thank goodness tomorrow's garbage day. You know, I'm sure he was already thinking about selling the whole car, you know, <laughs> easier than cleaning it out. Final question. Any advice for mothers who are currently on their second pregnancy? Well, on the second one, and I had heard this too, but I didn't give it much thought. On subsequent births, the the process is usually faster. Usually don't labor as long as with the, the previous ones. So maybe just uh, do some research of in case you're somewhere that's not a hospital room and you might have to uh, handle some things on your own, like even having a, a towel in a, in the car probably would have been helpful, something to hold the baby in. But definitely have a, a backup plan in case you can't make it to your hospital. If I'd known what it was going to be like, maybe I would have just had the, the baby at home. If I'd known enough about how to do a home delivery, because then we could have just had the ease of driving up to the hospital of our choice and like, here it is. Here's the baby. Then I would have been able to see my doctor. She didn't have the practicing rights at the hospital we ended up at. So I wasn't even able to see her at all. I got a, a new doctor every day uh, that I was there. Anything that we haven't talked about that you want to include? I had to cancel my own C-section. For some reason, nobody, even though everyone had heard of my doctor, heard of my hospital, they kept telling me they were going to tell her. Nobody told her until I had asked her after the fact, like uh, a, a lactation question and asked her about the C-section. Like, I'm still getting notices, reminders that the C-section is coming up, but I've had the baby. Do I need to call the hospital and tell them to cancel the C-section? And by then she put two and two together and she told me she was going to cancel the C-section, obviously, because it was no longer needed. But I still ended up having to do that anyway. Even the day the day of, they were trying to remind me about the C-section. It's a fun story to tell and it has a happy ending. So congratulations on number two. Thank you. I want to say a big thanks to Karen's stepmom, Dawn. She's a What Was That Like listener, and she had the idea and suggested to Karen to get in touch with me to tell this story. So thanks, Dawn. And if you're wondering what Alfred's car seat looked like afterward, you can see pictures of it in the episode notes. And of course, you can see pictures of baby Alex. That's all at whatwasthatlike.com slash 153. And if you like this episode, you might like listening to episode 91 from a couple of years ago. It's 17 different women, all of them listeners to this podcast, telling their unusual childbirth stories. That's at whatwasthatlike.com slash 91. And now I have to talk about a recent episode and what happened afterward. A couple of shows back, my guest was Laura. The title of that one was Laura's Pain Became Her Purpose. And the topic of that show was the tragedy of children who die after being accidentally left in a hot car. Laura told the story of losing her 18-month-old son, Anderson, that way. And she actually lost even more than that. 
It's not an easy story to listen to, but it's a very important one for everyone to hear. And after that episode came out, the listeners in the Facebook group had a lot to say. And I mean a lot. If you're in that group, you saw it. The huge outpouring of support and love for Laura was just mind-blowing. Comment after comment about her courage in telling that story, the effect it had, just so much emotion and compassion from everyone after hearing Laura talk about what happened. One listener, Jenny, sent me this voicemail. Hi Scott, this is Jenny. Laura's story was extremely heartbreaking to listen to. Just like a lot of other parents or just anybody, I used to be one of those people that could not imagine how anybody could ever leave their child in a car or forget that their child was with them. After all, that's your child. How do you forget they're in the car, right? Well, it can happen. It happened to me. I was just one of the lucky ones where it did not end in a tragedy. It was when my son was about three years old. He went to a preschool program that was a three days a week, two and a half hour program. And he was quite a chatterbox at that age. So our routine was I would drive him to daycare. He would talk up a storm. Then I would drop him off. And when I picked him up, he would talk up a storm on the way home again. The only time it was ever really silent in the car was my ride home after dropping him off. So this one day I dropped him off, went about my business, then I came to pick him up and he must have been just extra tired that day. For whatever reason, that entire drive home, he did not say a word. He was completely silent. So before I knew it, my brain was automatically in drop-off mode. I didn't hear a sound, so my brain just knew, okay, I just dropped off my son. I pulled into our driveway at home and saw a flower delivery, just a package with flowers right outside my door. And I was so excited because it's not every day that you get flowers. And I hopped out of the car, I locked the car, I ran to the door, grabbed my flowers and went into the house. My husband came, he had been working from home. He had sent me the flowers, but hadn't noticed them yet. And we went into the kitchen where I arranged the flowers and we chatted. And a few minutes later, we both at the same time realized that our son wasn't there. And I felt all the blood drained from my face. And I ran outside and I unlocked the door and there was my son in his car seat crying. And he said, you are supposed to hear me. And my heart broke. And in that moment, I realized how quickly it can happen that you forget your child in the car. I was one of those people that could have never imagined. And here I was and just forgot my child in the car. I was so lucky that for one, it wasn't midsummer, it was late spring. And secondly, that I noticed after about five minutes, it could have really easily been me that had caused a tragedy. I am to this day so thankful that I noticed in time and I'm feeling ashamed that I ever looked down on those parents that forgot their child in the car because it does 
happen. And yes, it can happen to you. And I want to say to Laura, you are an amazing and strong woman. And thank you for all the hard work you do. If you haven't yet listened to Laura's story in episode 151, I encourage you to do so. And then join in the conversation in the Facebook group at whatwasthatlike.com slash Facebook. If you'd like to support the show and get extra 911 audio episodes and all of the episodes without any ads, it's super easy and you can try it out for free. And a lot of listeners have already done that. On your iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast feed and click on Try Free. If you're on Android, go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus. There are 35 bonus episodes waiting for you to binge, and episode 36 will be out in just a week from now. Graphics for this episode were created by Bob Bretz. Full episode transcription was created by James Lye. And now, the listener story. We love our listener stories. And this is how we end every episode, with a story that was sent in by a listener. If you want to hear your voice here on this podcast, think of something that happened to you that was memorable in some way. Then record a roughly 5-10 to minute story on your phone and send it to me, scott at whatwasthatlike.com. This week's story is from a friend of mine, Callista. It's about a major medical situation that happened to her at an unusually young age. And a couple of days from now, Callista will be having her three-year celebration. It's what she calls her stroke-aversary. So Callista, congratulations on surviving and thriving. Stay safe, and I'll see you here soon. A week from now, we'll have Raw Audio 36... And on the same Friday, a bonus episode of What Was That Like? And it's going to be ad-free for everyone. On October 21st, 2019, I woke up feeling good. It was my favorite month. I had just quit my barista job two days before, and I had new job interviews lined up that were related to my arts management degree from College of Charleston, where I graduated from the previous May. I was still living in Charleston, South Carolina, but that day I had to drive down to Myrtle Beach to take care of some errands with my mom. I had a nice two-hour drive, and when I arrived, we went to lunch and then went to the Sprint store as we both needed new phones. As the Sprint employee is explaining our options, I begin to feel odd. My anxiety kicks in a bit, but before I can get any more worried, I begin to see ripples in my vision. At this point, I excuse myself and go out and sit in the car. The ripples go away, but a headache settles in. I call and talk to my roommates, and they say maybe I'm just tired or dehydrated. My mom handles our phones and then drives us home. I take an Advil and nap for a couple of hours, and when I wake up, decide I feel a bit better and I'd like to sleep in my own bed, so I get in the car and start my drive back to Charleston. Halfway through, I momentarily lose the use of my right arm and leg. I couldn't even process the way it felt. I pull over at a Dollar General and go inside, splash some water on my face, and buy a Gatorade. But as I'm talking to the cashier, I get the bizarre notion that the words coming out of my mouth don't really match the thoughts in my head. 
but I can't be sure, so I continue driving home. Once I get home, I tell my roommates I'm going to lie down again. When I wake up around 8 p.m., my roommate had texted me, and as I reply, I can't quite write what I'm trying to say, and the sentences I send are incomplete or jumbled. Eventually, my sentences become more complete, and I text my best friend, Aika, and ask her if I can stay the night at her house, particularly because she had an extra bed in her room, which made me feel safer if I started to feel worse through the night. Aika picks me up, we eat dinner at her house, and chit-chat for a while. We agree that it's probably just my anxiety causing all of these symptoms, and I go to sleep feeling completely normal. The next morning, which also happened to be Aika's birthday, we wake up and she says she's going to class, but she'll be back shortly in case I'm not feeling well and would like to go get checked out by a doctor for good measure. I try to respond to her, but realize I can't form a complete sentence, and when she brings me a glass of water, I can't lift it to my mouth without spilling it everywhere. At this point, Aika says she's taking me to the hospital now instead of later. After stumbling to the bathroom and being guided down the stairs, I try to put my shoes on but struggle to the point that I'm lying down. Ike decides it will be too hard to get me to the hospital, so she calls 911. When they arrive, they try asking me when the symptoms started and I respond tomorrow instead of yesterday. They have me take some deep breaths and take my pulse and comment that they just think I'm having a panic attack and that my blood pressure is normal. They have a choice between two nearby hospitals and choose one at random. When we get there and a doctor comes in, he's uncomfortably jovial and chuckles when I'm unable to shake his hand because I don't have control of mine. He runs no simple tests for someone with my symptoms and tells Aika and I that sometimes severe anxiety can cause these symptoms. They hook me up to an IV of Ativan and tell Ika I'll be fine, but luckily she had called my mom, who was on her way from Myrtle Beach by this point. When I woke up after the Ativan, I was coherent enough to read my mom's texts, but not to walk or talk. They ask if they should call me an Uber, and I express in my best broken sentences that my mom is on the way. They decide to wheel me into the waiting room where finally... My mom is able to find me after searching when the front desk said they were unsure where I was. I can't lift my head up, say very much, or use my hand, and my mom is startled by my condition. She goes back and finds the doctor, who refuses to run any tests, and assures my mom that this is just an anxiety attack. My mom takes me to my apartment for about 30 minutes, but ultimately decides something isn't right and takes me to the other hospital. They immediately admit me and run every test possible, MRIs, heart ultrasounds, and more. Time passes, and in the middle of the night, they let us know their conclusion. An ischemic stroke with the blood clot being caused by the dissection of my carotid artery. Obviously, not normal for someone my age, at 22 years old. The doctors have remained undecided about the cause of the carotid artery dissection, despite being tested for various genetic disorders and autoimmune diseases, so for now, I take a daily 325 milligram aspirin and have regular checkups. It was a long road to recovery. The first few days in the hospital, it was tough to answer simple questions like what month it was and what my name was. After a couple of weeks, 
I was moved to a rehabilitation center to learn how to walk, talk, and write again. And while I still struggle with various effects, like brain fog, occasional headaches, and my hand not being able to write quite as fast as my brain wants it to, I'm lucky that my brain recovered as well as it did, and I'm able to live a great, fulfilling life thanks to the doctors, family members, and friends that took my symptoms seriously and got me the help that I needed. Uh...